I'm Trevor Cummings, and these are my Thoughts on Money. Hello, and welcome to the Thoughts on Money podcast, what we like to call Tom. I'm Trevor Cummings, your host of the podcast and your author of this week's Thoughts on Money blog, and I'm here with my good friend, Mr. Sean Latimer. Hello. What the listeners are missing out on is we just had an amazing 10-minute conversation off podcast about so many good stories. We did. Because this article is so nerdy, I had to start out with something light and playful. So I told a story of how this week uh, we got duped by some Girl Scouts. You got to watch out for those nine-year-old hustlers. Yeah, this is the season. So actually, I'm going to ask you first before I tell the story. What do you do? You go to the grocery store? Uh, yeah. What do you do in the girl? Do you have the Girl Scouts set up in front of the grocery store? Oh, I, I, I walk by so fast. I'm on my phone. I'm, we have so many kids in our neighborhood that we already know we're going to have to buy from a bunch of them, right? And those are the ones that you don't even anticipate. So I, I would be a sucker and I would buy Girl Scout cookies. Not because I like eating a lot of cookies, which they are good, but more because I respect the hustle and I would like support them. So I dodge them as much as possible. I go tunnel vision. I yeah. just uh, I just act like I, I got one thing on my mind. I feel so bad because I can't say no either. So sure enough, this week, I got a text message from my wife. We got a knock on the door. And she wasn't expecting anybody. And she comes to the door. And there's these three cute little girls in green vests. And they're selling Girl Scout cookies. But my wife was like, hey, I don't have any cash. We are in a new world because they said, we accept Venmo. And my wife was like, Okay, I'll take three boxes. So then I think the the parent who was uh, bringing them around was kind of out by the street, and then the girls were just walking up to the doors. That makes sense, kind of yeah. how people do for trick-or-treating. So then they give Nicole the name for the Venmo. And you know it's some name like Anderson or Smith, so Smith, there's a hundred of them. Yeah, so she sends the money, takes the cookies, goes out, and she's taking care of the kids. Like it, The house is hectic. A couple minutes later, knock on the door. She comes back to the door, Girl Scouts again. And they're like, hey, sorry, we gave you the wrong Venmo account. This is the moment I wish I could be a fly on the wall because I'm just picturing Nicole like, what? And the little girl with confidence be like, you have to send it again. Like, what? (laughs) So it's exactly what she did. So she's like, here's the right one. So, uh, you know, I would be flustered. And I'm like, okay. Like, even if you give the cookies back, you're already $18 in, right? Like, so she sends the money again and tells me I try to use Venmo to like send a payment request to get the money back. Uh, ultimately, it, it's all worth it because it makes for a funny story and mm-hmm. gives us some content for thoughts on money. But we paid thirty six dollars for three uh, packages of Girl Scout cookies, and that's why this article is named uh, "When You Don't Get What You Pay For." You better enjoy those cookies. Like, don't mow them down like you normally do. Just one at a time. You know, deep breath, really embrace it because you paid double. Yeah, exactly. I told, I wrote an article. It's the opposite of a buy one get one. <laughs> yeah. uh, we bought six and got three. <laughs> so um, it is sometimes in life that you don't get what you pay for. And we use that saying in English to say sometimes when you're being frugal, uh, if you look at the product or service that you were frugal about, sometimes it's underwhelming, right? Mm-hmm. And people say you get what you pay for, right? But when we talk about cookies. It's quite easy to know that, hey, around the United States, everybody's selling a box of Girl Scout cookies for $6. That's what they cost, right? So it's easy to value. We'd have more trouble if we were trying to value a cookie company. Yeah, you're right. And I love that comparison because um, I often point it out or notice it when I go to like a, a mall or a food court or whatever it might be. And my first kind of thought when I see a store, especially if there's a lot of employees is, you know, what do they sell? And let's say it's like sandwiches or cookies. And I'm like, man, that's a lot of cookies they have to sell just to break even. 
you know, and you're right. If you're investing in a business, you're not hoping to break even. You're hoping to at least make some sort of profit. Yeah, and we're living in the day of age where cupcakes and cookies and these little commodities could be quadruple what you expect for them because somebody's trying to create a more quality product. And you walk into this cookie place and you're like spending $25 for four cookies and there's 10 people behind the counter. So what we talked about in this article is, hey, how do you go about deciding how much the cookie company is worth? And the easy thing is when we talk about investing, we invest money because we want to make money. So we're looking for a return on investment. So one common and, and simple ratio we can look at is we can look at, hey, how much profits does that cookie company have? And we can look how people have historically paid for those profits, right? Maybe the average cookie company sells for 8 or $10 as a multiple of a dollar of profits they create. So the anchor point is how much you make in profits as a company. And I know you talk about this a lot later in the article, but it really a lot of it comes down to sentiment. And uh, sometimes it's not necessarily the earnings growth that's driving the price of the stock up. But so many people are excited about that particular name that's driving the price per share up and maybe exceeding a, a fair valuation at that time. Uh, I, it reminds me when you, you just said you go into a cookie store and you're looking at the cookies that seem overpriced, but there's a line out the door of people willing to pay for it. It almost, you know, you almost feel duped, like, wait, well, if they're all doing it, then it must be a good decision. Yeah, and what you're defining for our listeners is that the way a company's valuation, the value of the company, the, the price of the company, the way it could go up is one of two ways, right? Either the profits are increasing or the sentiment, how people feel about that company. And the simple analogy I used in the article was, imagine if Sean and I own Sean and Trevor's cookie company. The best cookies ever. I put your name first. I appreciate that. And next week, Taylor Swift comes on Instagram or on some sort of social. Is that what people use these days? I think so. Fair enough. So she says, Sean and Trevor's cookie company has the best cookies I've ever tasted. This all sounds right. Yeah. Right? So we might have the same profits this year that we did last year, but the excitement about our business because of that high profile testimonial would drive sentiment people's excitement about our future because of this promotion from Taylor Swift. That's right. So what you need to understand is when we're trying to talk about the value of something that's above and beyond Girl Scout cookies, it takes a little bit more work. And what you want to understand, if a stock is increasing in price, is it increasing because of the general sentiment, excitement about that company, or is the underlying company growing their profits. Another way to look at it too, and I, I don't want to go too far off the beaten path, but I, I think it's relevant, is uh, in Trevor's example, uh, newer businesses and their growth are sometimes a lot harder to measure because of that excitement, because they make a big splash or the timing of their company is maybe during a circumstance where there's a lot of uh, at-home products or a lot of uh, consumers that are at home where you see a huge spike in earnings growth and you kind of think, hey, if this continues, it would warrant this much higher of a stock price. But then uh, as Trevor mentioned in the article, gravity kicks in and those circumstances change and then their earnings decline. And it's like, wow, this home run of a company lost, you know, a 60, 70% uh, value of their, of their market cap in less than a year. And it, it just kind of shows that uh, you really do have to focus on a constant earnings, not just a, a short term jump. So you're telling me if there was some crazy global pandemic just saying. And that you couldn't go to the gym, that maybe a company that sells aerobic bikes 
could have its price go through the roof as people start to buy those aerobic bikes because they can't go to the gym. I can tell you that because we have a bike and a treadmill by this hypothetical company. Yes. Fair enough. So, <laughs> um, then what we need to talk about is as an investor, if this price to earnings ratio, right? Uh, how many dollars I pay for a company compared to how much they make in profits is a fair metric to look at. And it gives us some context to how things are cheap or expensive historically. Um, I provided a chart in the article, again, a nerdy article. So you're just gonna have to bear with me. But if you look at those average PE ratios, they are above average. Um, the chart shows it's about one standard deviation above what the normal would be. So what we could say in layman's terms, it, it is a way of describing that stocks are not cheap. And according to history, they're not fairly valued. They're a little bit more expensive than average. So just for our listeners, uh, in your charts, you're using S&P 500 companies, mm -hmm. which um, we know that they have a heavier weighting on technology companies than compared to maybe like the Dow mm -hmm. or different types of technology companies. Would you say that if you're looking at different indexes, like maybe it would be safe to say the NASDAQ might be trading higher than the S&P and then or the Dow may be trading lower historically? Is that fair? You can't ask me data points that I don't know off the top on, of my head. I'm just saying. Um, no, I mean, I think what you're opening up is uh, here. Let me go one place first and I'll go back to what you're saying. Okay. So if here, I'll go where you're saying. Because we can't talk about one cookie company. Yes. Right? Because one cookie company is part of a particular business in a particular industry. Like, let's say me and you weren't friends anymore. That could have a bad impact on Sean and Trevor's cookie company. Yep. Right? So what you want to look at is you want to look at averages. You want to be able to pull together cookie companies and grocery stores and um, all sorts of companies to get an average of how publicly traded stocks or companies are behaving, right? Historically, the S&P 500, the 500 largest companies in the U.S. has been a standard for measuring what the average looks like. Right now, it's harder to use that language, which you're alluding to, and I put a chart in the, in the article, because 10 out of the 500 companies in the S&P 500 are representing almost a third of the the weighting uh, of that average. So I don't know the perfect way to articulate it on a podcast. I think the, the graph will help you a lot, but the average really isn't representing the average right now. Is that right. a fair way to say it? Yeah. So then you start to look and you say, oh, huh, okay. So these really large companies are having a huge influence on the average. And from a historical perspective, as Trevor shared some charts, they are more expensive than they have been historically. That seems concerning, right? Here's where your brain is going to go. Your brain is going to go, oh man, that means over the next 12 months, stocks are a bad investment. But you can't do that. Because not all of them are treated equal. And we've talked about that in another podcast. Not all of them are treated equal. And also those valuation metrics that I'm using, all the graphs I put in the article that you're going to go check out, they are not a good timing mechanism. One of the key charts I put in this article, again, bear with me. I know this is a, a more nerdy conversation we typically have, but one of the charts I put in there shows, hey, if stocks on average are at a higher price than they typically have been, what are returns over the next year? And it looks like chaos. There's dots all over the chart. There's no trend. 
So what you can say from that is on a go-forward basis, when valuations are high, the next 12 months is a huge question mark of what's going to happen. But the next five years, there's a very high correlation, meaning if you pay high prices, you get lower than average returns. And the idea is that and you have it in a different chart that shows the, kind of the disparity between the two. Those 10 companies are trading at a much higher valuation than the rest of the index. There's been countless times where more than half the stocks in the S&P 500 are negative for the day. And the index is still up because those 10 companies are so overweighted. So it, it is something to keep in mind that uh, I know we say this a lot, but stocks are very vague. They, they're not all created equal. They can be mega cap stocks that are moving an entire index. They can be brand new startups that you've never heard of, or they can be somewhere in the middle where there still are fair valuations. Yeah. And what should be helpful for our listeners, if you do see a chart like I shared today, where there's a very strong correlation between things that are expensive having below average returns over the next five years, you should marry that to memory. Because as human beings, we are wired a very unique way. We're not really good at thinking about the future. We're really good at thinking about the here and now. And we're not really good at uh, putting the blinders on to what's happening to our neighbors. We really want what our neighbors have we really experience FOMO. So what ends up happening is things that are expensive, they get more expensive. High prices lead to higher prices. And then you feel like you're being left out because it's very difficult to reframe your perspective to say, hey, I have a five-year or 10-year perspective when your neighbor says, hey, check out my phone and look how much I made on XYZ yesterday. Yeah, I'm laughing as you're saying this because... Um Five years in an investment plan or financial plan, not that long. Five years when you're having FOMO probably feels like 500 years. And uh, it's really hard to kind of think back. I, I see it now in client reviews where they're thinking the last six months, 12 months, 18 months, maybe two years. And that's a stretch. Five years would be really tough. Yeah, you go back to articles. Um, what, what, did, uh, what, what term did he use? Irrational exuberance, right? Um, this, this idea that in the late 90s, Prices were just going through the roof. I think, again, one of our listeners can e email me and tell me I'm wrong, but I think that that, that that description of irrational exuberance came in like 1997. Uh, Jeremy Siegel wrote an, uh, an article about how overvalued stocks were in 1998. But 1999, it was still higher prices were leading to higher prices. Yeah. So people get upset and they question their own strategy when they're saying like, wait a tick. Um, this thing that felt like a bubble is getting bigger. Mm -hmm. And bubble is a perfect term because in order for a bubble to burst, what has to happen? It has that, to get bigger. Right. Right. And if you and I grabbed a balloon right now and we had the, the fortitude to, to blow it up, each of us, until it popped, we wouldn't really know when that's going to happen. Right. If you're uh, listening to this and, and you've ever thought about going to the carnival, right, when you get those squirt guns mm -hmm. and you squirt in the clown's mouth and the balloon blows up, right, like you keep going, but there's this anticipation of when is it actually going to pop. So the whole point that I'm making here is that if you're reading this article, if you're listening to this podcast, you should slow down and just ask yourself one really simple question. Is my investment philosophy or is my strategy built on owning companies that can grow profits and those 
growing profits driving the value of the business or is my strategy built on growing sentiment? Because like Sean mentioned earlier, sentiment has this gravitational pull to it, this mean reversion that uh, they say that uh, trees don't grow to the sky, right? So if, if Sean grabbed a baseball right now and threw it as high as you could in the air, I probably couldn't estimate exactly where the apex would be, but with high level of confidence, I could say that's coming back to the ground. Yeah, it's interesting because uh, I'm thinking about some of these large companies that, as you're mentioning, a bubble that continue to grow and grow. And I, I feel like as humans, we fall into that sentiment trap, but then we also find ways to justify it quickly, whether it's a talking point or, you know, pointing out we don't know how impactful new technology will be and this could be the next internet or, or something like that, which helped justify our decision. And then we find an article that talks about it and it just reinforces that even more. It's really easy to uh, fall into that type of trap. Yeah, there's a professor at um, one of the universities in New York. Uh, my brain never works when I try to think of this. Columbia, um, Michael Mobison. And uh, he teaches on uh, investing. And he writes this article on base rates. Uh, and you and I have talked about the podcast before, so you're familiar with it. But basically saying, hey, if you make a conclusion that XYZ company is fairly valued, and then you look at it and you say, hey, in order for that valuation to be fair, this company has to grow at 35% per year for the next 15 years. And you're like, okay. And then you go look, what companies have ever actually done that? And 0.01% of the companies ever in history have had that sort of run rate. So then you have to ask yourself, uh, is what I'm investing in the exception or the rule? Everybody likes to believe that everything they own is the rule, um, but all the little anecdotal examples they want to give about, hey, if you would have bought this stock in you know 2002 and held it to today, these would be the results. Yeah, it's easy to do in hindsight. Yeah, they, there's countless examples, and we've said it on the podcast before, whether it was you know automobile companies, um, where they were the big four, but what people don't know is there were a hundred of them, and you don't hear about the other ninety-six. Um, the same thing could be said about cryptocurrency. You know, at the end, there'll probably be you know a handful of really large cryptocurrencies, but I remember there being hundreds of different coins at the time, and I, I wonder if we'll see the same thing in the future, whether it's AI or new technology that comes out that we're not even aware of yet. I really like David's candor in a recent uh, one of his commentaries. I think it was DC Today. He said, "Sentiment is the worst investment advisor." ever created. <laughs> yeah. So if you build your investment strategy on, on sentiment, uh, I think you should just prepare yourself that, like I said, they are mean reverting, meaning that something typically travels back to its average for a very clear reason. We invest in order to make money. It's really, really hard to make money if you overpay. And I can give a very simple example. If I try to go resell those three boxes of Girl Scout cookies for more than I paid for them, um, I don't know if there's a greater fool out there. I don't know if I can find somebody to pay $38 or $40 or, or so on and so forth. So the greatest predictor of your future returns is the price that you pay. And if you're not anchoring towards something to value that price, which would be profits, uh, you're going to have trouble ahead. Yeah. And I, I think what you're saying is if you're buying a company because everyone else is, and then the stock price drops, you you're kind of shooting yourself in the foot because it may take years for it to get back to that point. But if you're buying a company at a fair valuation that has earnings and is growing their cash flow year over year, 
there could be the same result. There could be a large correction or bad earnings report, whatever it might be. But at least you're anchoring to something that's much more tangible and real. And that it, that stock has a much better chance of getting back to that price point sooner. Yeah, there's a quote I probably should have included in the article. It was um, from one of the tech company CEOs in the early 2000s uh, where people were, um, his stock price was going through the roof and it was unreasonable. And it's a longer quote, uh, and maybe I'll provide it in the next article or something as a reference point. David referenced it recently. And he was basically saying, hey, based on the price that you're paying for this company, I'm the CEO of, right? Uh, the only way for this to work is if I don't have to pay over the next 10 years, I don't have to pay any of my employees. I don't have to pay any taxes. I don't have to pay for any R&D. Like the only way this works is if we sustain some sort of linear baseline growth that we do right now with absolutely no expenses. It's a joke. Yeah. He's basically saying it's silly that you would ever pay for this company. Uh, don't get mad at me as a CEO. I, I'm not the one that sets the price of the stock. Um, it is impossible for me to fulfill these expectations. And that's truly what happens. Um, us, investors, put these huge hurdle rates or expectations on companies that they're never going to be able to live up to. Right. And, and that's how things get stretched. That's how bubbles are made. And that's why you have to ask yourself, what is your strategy based on? Is it based on um, something growing because of sentiment, which is short lived? Or is it that it's a, a high quality company that's executing at a high level and producing profits, reducing expenses and figuring out ways to grow profits year over year? Do you remember during uh, uh, the meme stock time, uh, the movie theater company? where they were like, to justify the stock price, we have to sell out every single movie for the next three years straight. And every person going has to spend $200 at concessions. <laughs> and uh, that's one of my favorite examples. Yeah, everybody has to buy popcorn. Two hundred. Well, yeah. $200 you can burn through pretty quick at a movie theater, you know? <laughs> yeah, especially, especially these days. So um, one of the ways I wrapped up the article is, um, is I said perhaps Bitcoin will hit an all-time high. Um, and maybe those top 10 companies we reference will outpace the field. Who knows? Sean or I, we're not um, making that claim to know that. What we do know is that in the long run, um, investments are valued based on the income or the cash flow that they produce. And I did include a, a, a quote from Warren Buffett this week where he was basically saying, hey, the company I oversee is so big that the only thing on our shopping list could be large companies. And we've scoured through all these large companies and we've concluded that we prefer to hold cash than to buy some of those companies, right? So what this is leading you to say is that there should be some sort of structure, plan, ways to calculate why you would own company X. And those calculations should get back to Sean and Trevor's cookie company. That we, at the end of the day, have revenue that's greater than expenses, and those profits are reinvested back into the business and shared with shareholders in the form of a dividend, right? Which gets us to why we are dividend growth investors. Again, really nerdy article, and uh, a lot of charts included. A little tougher one to do over a podcast, but um, the, the, the Girl Scout cookie example uh, just reminds you that sometimes you really don't get what you pay for. And that can be true on Girl Scout cookies, and it can be true in investing in the stock market. Well said. It's all Sean's got for us today. And if we do start a cookie company, a cookie comes with every dividend. Oh, fair enough. Look at I like that. That. We're yeah. ready. 
Um, <laughs> can my name be first or does yours have to be first? We'll negotiate. Trevor and Sean's Cookie Company. Nah. Sean and Trevor sounds better. Sounds good, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it sounds better. It flows a little bit better. So um, with that said, you can email us uh, your cookie recipes if you'd like. Uh, it's Tom, T-O-M, at thebonsagroup.com. You can address that to Trevor or Sean. Answer any of your questions, comments, uh, feedback, corrections if we made any mistakes on the podcast. Uh, we really appreciate you listening. We'll ask that you rate the podcast. Five stars are preferred. You can leave comments there as well. And of course, we will be back next week. More of our thoughts on money. The Bonson Group is registered with Hightower Securities, LLC, member FINRA and SIPC, and with Hightower Advisors, LLC, a registered investment advisor with the SEC. Securities are offered through Hightower Securities, LLC. Advisory services are offered through Hightower Advisors, LLC. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities. No investment process is free of risk, and there is no guarantee that the investment process or the investment opportunities referenced herein will be profitable. Past performance is not indicative of current or future performance and is not a guarantee. The investment opportunities referenced herein may not be suitable for all investors. All data and information referenced herein are from sources believed to be reliable. Any opinions, news, research, analysis, prices, or other information contained in this research is provided as general market commentary. It does not constitute investment advice. The team and Hightower shall not in any way be liable for claims and make no expressed or implied representations or warranties as to the accuracy or completeness of the data and other information, or for statements or errors contained in or omissions from the obtained data and information referenced herein. The data and information are provided as of the date referenced. Such data and information are subject to change without notice. This podcast was created for informational purposes only. The opinions expressed are solely those of the team and do not represent those of Hightower Advisors, LLC, or any of its affiliates. Hightower Advisors do not provide tax or legal advice. This material was not intended or written to be used or presented to any entity as tax advice or tax information. Tax laws vary based on the client's individual circumstances and can change at any time without notice. Clients are urged to consult their tax or legal advisor before establishing a retirement plan.